Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. All right. Good morning, everybody. So today we are going to talk about Job. And uh, yeah, it's a really long book. And most of it is really hard to read. Especially, like, I'm a high school science teacher, and um, I don't really like poems, uh, in all honesty. So reading that book is a little bit feeling like it's a little bit torturous, honestly, sometimes. Because it takes a lot of work for this brain to get it. But that's okay. Uh, and in that, I have a little bit of a confession uh, to tell you guys. So uh, when Andrew put me on the preaching schedule for the middle section of Job, my honest kind of secret first reaction was like, oh, I don't want to do it. Um, and I thought to myself, well, I really like the end of Job, so maybe I'll switch with Andrew. Like, I'll just ask him to switch with me, and it'll be fine. Uh, but then I felt really convicted uh, because what I really, honestly, I felt the Lord say to me is like, is that really who you are? And I was like, actually, Lord, no, I really do love your word. And like, honestly, like if people would want to do like a, a Bible study on the book of Deuteronomy, like I'm like, let's do it. Like, I really do believe that God wrote this whole thing for me. And I really do believe he wrote this whole thing for you. And I don't think we should shy away from any of it. Uh, but I did at that moment. I just thought it'd be easier to preach out of a passage that I like better. And uh, I, was, I just felt the Lord say, like, you should not communicate to my people that there are portions of Scripture that they can only understand if they have a seminary degree. And I was like, I'm sorry. Uh, so here we go, guys. We're going to talk about Job because all Scripture is breathed out from God. Uh, and he meant it for you. He meant it for me. And we don't need to be scared of any of it. We don't need to shy away from any of it because he, give, he can give all of us understanding. He can speak to us from all portions of Scripture. So with that in mind, kids, we believe that God speaks to you too. So if you got your clipboard from Miss Kristen up front, we today we have special kids sermon notes for you, okay, with fill in the words, fill in the blanks. You fill it in with words. Uh, there's a word bank on top, and there's going to be three steps along the way where there's going to be a, a slide that's going to tell you what the word is, okay? So if you're a kid in here and you're taking your notes, you can follow along. And I think we have our first slide ready to go there, and it is, I can understand God's word, okay? God's word is for kids too. It's not just for adults. And kids, you can understand God's word, now, Miss Kristen put some other fun coloring stuff in there for you guys, like she always does. Uh, but just be on the lookout, because every now and then, there's going to be two more slides for you with uh, some words that you can fill in there, and you can color along as we talk. So, uh, the book of Job uh, is obviously a book about suffering, and not just a little bit of suffering, but like really serious, difficult trials, okay? Uh, and in, as I was reading through the passages that we were supposed to read this week, uh, one thing that struck me is that Job uh, identifies very clearly that in the midst of his suffering, 
he, is, he, re- he needs wisdom. He requires wisdom. He's in need of wisdom. So if we turn to Job 28, uh, verse 1. So we're going to do verse 1 through 3, and then 12 through 15. So Job 28, verse 1. Um, it says, Surely there's a mine for silver, and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, And copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. So, you know, very poetic language. But basically what Job is saying, uh, you know, man can put an end to darkness. Like we can dig through mountains, we can find iron, we can find gold, we can find copper. Like we can work hard to go to really difficult places to find things that we think are valuable, things that we need. Okay, but if we jump down to verse 12 on the same chapter, uh, Job says, but where is wisdom going to be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man doesn't know its worth. It's not found in the land of the living. The deep, which is the Old Testament way of saying the oceans, okay? The ocean says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. It can't be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. So, again, very poetic language to say, where am I going to get wisdom? Like, I can't go anywhere to get it. I can't buy it with money. Like, I'm going through a really difficult season, and I would like to know why. Why is this happening? I would like to know how. How did this happen? How am I going to get out of it? When? What? We know, we know all those questions that we ask. We just want to figure things out because if we have things figured out, then we feel like it's not out of control. Like if we could at least know, then maybe it'd be a little bit less painful. And we can identify with that. We can identify with with Job's emotions right there. I wish I knew what's going on. Uh, And maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But the thing was, he didn't know what was going on. He had no idea. And in that chapter, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, he goes on to say, I know that wisdom is found with God, and that God says, fear God and hate evil. And that's what what it means to be wise, Um, which is true. Uh, But then Job says, I did it. I feared God. I hated evil. And all this stuff is happening to me anyways. And I don't understand why. Therefore, God must not love me. God's not faithful. Something's going on. I wish I was never born. And then he goes on to his whole thing, right? And he goes into a big pit of despair because he doesn't know what to do, right? And we can identify with Job's despair. So if we flip a page or so to Job chapter 30. So Job chapter 30, starting at verse 16. Job says, my soul is poured out within me. And I think that's such a powerful way to say it. Like, sometimes our, when we're going through trials, our emotions are just so out of whack, you just feel spent. Like, there's nothing left. Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm poured out. He says, days of affliction have taken hold of me. And that's how we feel sometimes. We feel like something from the outside came and took a hold of our lives, and there's nothing we can do now. I've, I'm in bondage to this circumstance, 
right? Days of affliction have taken hold of me. He says, the night racks my bones. So he's not getting good sleep. And the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. He said, I don't get a break from this. I can't sleep. When I'm awake, it's, it's troublesome. I'm dreaming about it. Like, I get no break from this all the time. It's nonstop. And then he just, his heart just dives into deep darkness. And he goes on, uh, I think, verse 19. He says, God has cast me into the mire. I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you don't answer me. So he's saying to God, I'm talking to you, but you're not saying anything back. He says, I, I stand and I can tell you're there, but the only thing you're doing is you're just looking at me. You're not doing anything. You're not saying anything. And this sucks, basically. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it. You toss me about in the roar of the storm. So Job is having a really bad day, basically, is what comes down to it. He, uh, you know, he recognizes that God's there. He, can, like, he has this inkling that he's, God's there looking at him, but he can't hear and he can't see God do anything. So the only conclusion that he ends up with is, you're persecuting me and you're doing it for no good reason. And I don't know why you're doing this. And whether we're saying those specific words or not, we can identify with even the sort of unconscious accusation that we have against God sometimes during the time of trial, uh, that he's not doing this or that, or he's not saying this or that. It's hard. It's hard when we're going through trials. Um, so why have this written in Scripture? I think there's many reasons, but a few of them would be to help us remember like Andrew talked a couple weeks ago, that we're not alone in our suffering. Like, when we're suffering, we tend to think, well, like, we're the first ones and we're the only ones. But that's not true. Uh, this is a common human experience. Um, and the good thing about that is that the Holy Spirit has helped people through thousands of years out of those. Not that God would need practice, but he's had a lot of practice uh, helping people out of difficult circumstances. And really, like, whatever we're going through, as horrible as it may seem, at the end of the day, is really not that unusual if you think about the history of humankind. God's seen it before. He's gotten people out of it before. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it with us. And we can have that comfort. Um, and I think there's also something very powerful to being recognized by God that he put it in scripture, that he understands human suffering, that he understands our weakness, and that he's okay with it. Uh, he's, not, like, he's not surprised by it. He knows exactly how we feel. Uh, now, the cool thing about identification is that God doesn't just recognize that we go through that. He allowed himself to go through those same emotions. So um, when Jesus became a man, he became a man so that he could identify himself with us in every way imaginable. And one of those ways was to feel overcome by pain. If we look at Matthew 27, verse 46, 
Matthew 27, verse 46. So what's happening here is Jesus is on the cross. Um, and then he says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That means, and this is so gut-wrenching, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? Why'd you leave me? Why'd you do this to me? You know, that's what Jesus is really saying there. He's like, you left me. Why? You know, and that comes from a deep place. And Jesus felt that. He felt it for real. And he identifies with us. And we can have comfort in that, that God is not far away. He didn't just create the universe and let it go. Even when things went wrong, he's still intimately involved in everything. Even in our pain, he felt it for himself. He made himself weak so he could identify fully with our weakness. Now, if you're like me, I think the identification stuff is awesome and it is helpful, but I like problems to be solved. And I'm always like, thank you, Lord, that you identify with me. It does help me feel better, but like, still, how do we get out of this? Can we just please just get over this? That's just how my heart functions, okay? Uh, now, one thing in the book of Job that we see that's interesting is that Job never mentions the written word of God, like Moses' law, anything from the prophets. There's at least, it seems like there's no hint of it there. There's also no hint of Israel or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. None of those guys are ever even mentioned there. So one of two things probably happened. Either Job experienced all of this before Moses came along and there was no written word of God, or uh, he lived really far away from Israel and he didn't have access to the word of God, which is not our case, right? Part of the reason why Job was in so much despair was because he lacked revelation, Revelation that we now have. And as horrible and as awful many circumstances are, we don't have to be in such severe despair for such an extended period of time. There is a way to be comforted. There is a way to gain wisdom. There is a way to overcome it. And what that way is, is the Word of God, which Job didn't have, but we now have. And we can see in Jesus' example that Jesus himself navigated his suffering. He navigated his crucifixion uh, by using the Old Testament. Okay, So if we look at Matthew 26, verse uh, 52 to 54. So what's happening here uh, is Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's done praying, and then the soldiers show up to get him, and then Peter starts fighting with everybody, cuts the guy's ear off, and then Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then he tells Peter, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So what Jesus is referring here to is to Psalm 91, when there's a promise that God will send his angels to keep his people from stumbling. So already Jesus is quoting scripture here, or at least alluding to it. Um, and then he says to Peter, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So Jesus navigated 
his crucifixion with the Bible. And if Jesus, being God, decided to navigate his suffering with the Scripture, that is how we're supposed to do it. Now, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and he experienced extreme distress and extreme anxiety to the point where the Bible says that he was sweating blood, which is actually a medical condition. Certain people, when they experience very, very extreme anxiety, uh, blood can actually seep out of their skin. Um, So it's not some like weird spiritual thing that happened. It was a very real thing that Jesus was experiencing. And then we know that Jesus prayed, um, you know, God, you know, if it's your will, pass this cup from me, but not what I will, what you want. I want to do that. But the interesting thing is we don't know what else Jesus prayed, right? But when he gets up, he starts quoting scripture left and right. And if you read through the crucifixion story, he's quoting, or at least alluding to Zechariah and Daniel and the Psalms. And my theory, and it is just a theory, is that what Jesus did there with the Father and the Holy Spirit is he rehearsed Scripture. And the Father reminded him of Scripture, and he rehearsed it, and he said it back to God, because when he gets up, that's what he's doing. That's what's coming out of his mouth is the Scripture. Um, And I think that's what we need to do uh, in our suffering. We need to hold on to the Word of God. And it doesn't have to be as bad as it was for Job. It can get better. Uh, There is hope for us. See, God knew that we needed stuff during trials. And God decided to use Job to be some of that stuff, some of the word. Job didn't have it, but we we do have it. We don't have to suffer as much as Job did. There's a way out of the misery. Now, the really cool thing, and of course, God is so smart and so much smarter than all of us, is that uh, in our Bible reading, we're reading, you know, a passage and then either Psalm or the Proverbs. So right now we're reading Job, and one of the Psalms that we read this week was Psalm 119, which is uh, the biggest chapter in the Bible, and it's a song about the Bible. It's a song about how awesome the Bible is. Really, that's how you could summarize it. The Bible is awesome. That's what the whole psalm is about, okay? Uh, But the really neat thing about Psalm 119 is that it talks a lot about suffering. And it talks over and over about how the psalmist navigated his seasons of suffering with the Bible. It's what comforted him. Now, he, of course, is talking about like the, probably the first five books of the Bible. Uh, of course, we have more than that. Uh, but the point is the Scripture helps us navigate through suffering. Okay? So I want to switch. If you want to flip your Bibles over to Psalm 119, we're going to read through several verses in Psalm 119. Okay? Uh, and I only picked a few because there are so many verses in here about trial and suffering and being persecuted and being wronged and being misunderstood. Uh, so anyways, Psalm 119, verse 28. He says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Now isn't that what Job said earlier? Job said, my soul's poured out within me, right? The psalm is saying the same thing here. He's experienced the same exact thing that Job was. 
And he said, my soul is melting away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. See, Job couldn't pray that second half. He didn't have the word, but you do, and I do, and we can pray that second half. We can be honest with God about how we feel, but then we can look for the way out, which is strengthen me according to your word. We skip to verse 50, Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Now, did Job have any comfort in his affliction? Nope, not even his friends were very helpful. Okay, and he didn't have the word, but here the psalmist is saying, I have your promises. And when I'm feeling like I'm dying on the inside, your promise gives me life. Uh, Verse 92, Psalm 119, verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Now, sometimes we're like, you know, this trial is going to destroy me. Uh, And sometimes we're just, you know, discouraged and whatnot. But maybe sometimes that's true. Because he says right here, I would have perished. Like, that was too much. That was too much for me. But what he said is, your word kept me steady. Your word kept me from falling apart. Yes, there are trials, there are circumstances that really, maybe they really are too much for us. But that doesn't mean that we're without hope. That doesn't mean that we're without a way out. The word will keep us steady. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you build your house, your emotional makeup, your thoughts, the way you choose to spend your time, the way you choose to spend your money, the way you do relationships, if you build your house according to my word, when the rain comes and when the flood comes and when the wind comes, in other words, they're going to come. When it comes, you're not going to fall apart. I'm going to hold you up. And if it feels like you're falling apart, I'll pick you back up. And that's the promise that we have in the Word. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I love the, I don't want to say hyperbole, but like the big words in this verse. It's not like a little peace have those who... Most of the time, the word won't make them stumble. Like It's not like great peace. We can experience. It's possible. Like it's for real. It can really happen to you. You can experience great peace in the midst of suffering if you love God's word. And it can be so powerful in your life that really nothing can make you stumble. Now, what this, I don't think this means is that you're like perfect all the time, like I'm an all-star Christian, you know, like everything's going wrong and I'm just awesome. That's not what it means, okay? What it means is the story of your life essentially was you didn't quit. You didn't stumble like all the way. Maybe there was a day, maybe there was a week, a month, maybe even a year where you quit, but then you signed back up. And if you're a person who's in the Word, That's going to be your story. Nothing's going to make you stumble in the long run. And at the end of the day, when you look back in your life, you're going to say, somehow 
I did it. I didn't quit. And if we don't quit, guys, we win. It's automatic. Sometimes all that God is asking us to do is just not quit. Just keep walking. So, um, kids, we have a slide for you. The next word for you there is God's word comforts me. Now, what comfort means, excuse me, what comfort means is that it's like a hug. Okay, so you know when you get a cut or something, sometimes you need a hug. You need a hug from mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, teacher, somebody. And that's what God's word is to us, and that's what God's word is to kids. It's like a hug. God's word comforts me. Uh, the cool thing about Psalm 119 uh, that we see is that the word of God also gives us wisdom. Okay? So Psalm 119, verse 98. Okay? It gives us wisdom in seasons of uh, trial. Psalm 119, verse 98, he says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Now, uh, we see in Job's life that, like Jeremiah said last time, he had some really good friends until they opened their mouths, right? And then they sort of became his enemies because really they were accusing him and saying, really, Job, you got to have some secret sin in your life. That's why this is happening to you. God doesn't let this happen to people. Uh, they sort of became his enemies, like they were making it worse. They weren't being helpful. Uh, it would have been better if they weren't there, if that's what they're going to say. Uh, and in seasons where people are against us, whether they have reason to or no reason to, and they feel like enemies, uh, and you just don't know what to say, you don't know what to think, you feel conflicted, the Word says that God's Word will give you wisdom and will make you wiser and rise above the accusations if they're unfounded. Uh, God's word is that source of wisdom in our trials. Psalm 119, verse 130. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, and I love this little phrase here, the unfolding of your wisdom, of your word, gives light. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. What the psalmist is saying there, and Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 1, when he's praying for the Ephesians, he says, I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who Jesus is. Um, but he's saying the same thing here. He says, the unfolding of your word gives light. So when you're reading scripture and the Holy Spirit just comes and does that on the scripture when you're reading, he opens it up to you, and that is just a bright light in your heart, and it's just one of the most delightful, pleasurable experiences in the Word to have the God of he heaven open himself up and pour his heart out to you through his Word when he opens up his Word. It is just marvelous, and it's honestly one of the best feelings of the, in the world. And it doesn't matter the depth of darkness that we're in, when God comes and unfolds his word and he opens it up to your heart, it fills you with light. And God's light is way brighter than whatever darkness we're going through. It doesn't matter how awful it is. The unfolding of God's word gives us light. Now, kids, we have another slide for you. And it's okay if you're not done 
coloring the last part there, but God's word makes me wise or gives me wisdom. Okay, so kids, you can gain wisdom. You can become wise by being in the word, okay? Now, um, I wanted to give a personal testimony uh, because really when we're going through trials, it doesn't, the Bible sometimes doesn't feel real because people are gone, right? Those people, you can't like talk to them. You can't see them. You can't like hear their voice. Uh, so a while back, XYZ happened, and it's a really long sob story, and I'm not going to get into it. Uh, but really what it did is it triggered some really uh, traumatic memories for me, and like all the worst things that I feared were like all happening at the same time. And it was like a perfect storm. And, uh, and I felt, so in all honesty, to be completely authentic here, is one of my biggest fears in life is uh, fear of what other people might do to me or might do to people that I love. Because the truth is, is we're all bound to each other, right? I can be a great blessing to you or I could be a great curse to you. And even if the Holy Spirit convicts me, I can tell him no. God's given me the will that if I want to be awful, I can, right? And so can everybody else. Um, and it's, to me, it's terrifying that I can be the best Christian in the world, but because I'm in relationship with people, they can cause me like tremendous pain and suffering. And um, I, I, I still struggle with this. It's better now. Uh, but I have a big fear of loss, and I have a big fear that somebody else is going to cause me to lose something that uh, is not my fault. And I have an even bigger loss that somebody's going to do that to my family. And that just, it makes me fall apart. It's really difficult for me to deal with that. Um, And it was just a situation where that was happening. And I felt hopeless because there was nothing I could do. There really wasn't anything I could do and uh, the individual had just no remorse and was just doing terrible, awful, evil, evil things. And um, I honestly started losing it. I had to force myself to eat. I couldn't sleep. When I did sleep, I would sleep for like two hours, and then I would wake up just covered in sweat. And I'd wake up like in a jolt, you know, and just covered in sweat. There was one time I had to change my clothes because I was wet. Uh, just from all the sweat, and it was gross, uh, honestly. And uh, I used to sometimes feel so afraid of what was going to happen that I would sit there and I would literally start shaking. And it wasn't because it was cold, because it was the summer, uh, but I would just start shivering. And one time, one of those nights where I couldn't sleep, I was shivering so bad that I actually woke my wife up because I was just sitting in bed shaking, you know, and she put her hand on my shoulder, on my chest and prayed for me, and I felt a little better. And then she was able to go back to sleep. I wasn't, but at least she was able to go back to sleep. Uh, but it was, it was hard. It was hard for me because everything that I hoped would never happen was happening, and I was, I was, there was nothing I could do about it. And uh, one of those nights where I was barely sleeping, I actually had a dream uh, that I believe was from the Lord. Now, here at Cobblestone, we still believe that God speaks to us in that way. We always have to test it against Scripture uh, to make sure we're not making stuff up, because we do sometimes, and not every dream is from God. 
but this one, I believe, was. And it was very simple. Uh, you know, dreams are weird, but I was somehow looking at myself, and this, like, braver version of me was telling me, preach Isaiah 40. Ed, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, preach Isaiah 40. And I was just telling myself repeatedly, like, do this, do this. Like, you have to do this. You have to do this. So I woke up, and frankly, my first thought was like, finally, God said something. <laughs> uh, but after that, I was thinking about it, and I realized, like, my way out of this mess is going to be in the Word, which I already knew. And I was trying. I was reading the Bible and just nothing. And I was praying and nothing. And I was, you know, I was exercising like you're supposed to because it helps you deal with your stress. And I was going to a counselor, like, we don't have to over-spiritualize everything. And those things were helpful, but honestly, that thing was just too big. It wasn't, like, the natural stuff, it wasn't going to do it. It just really wasn't. And um, I, I was like, you know, I'm an all-way, like, all-the-way kind of guy. I don't like to do things halfway. So, like, I went into Isaiah 40 like crazy, like, I spent months in it. I memorized the whole thing. I read commentaries. I prayed, like, you know, like, almost fanatic, you know. Uh, but I just knew that I was just so broken at that moment that either God was going to do something or I was just going to stay broken for a really long time. Uh, and I wanted to read some of those verses with you guys uh, because I think they're comforting when we're going through trials. Uh, so Isaiah 40, verse 26, um, 26 through the end. Of course, Isaiah 40, I think now is amazing. Uh, and there is no way to go through all of it on a Sunday morning. It is impossible. But I would like to go through some minor highlights from this passage, because even this, like, we could go on for longer. But uh, I'm just going to read little phrases and just kind of talk about how I was feeling and how the Lord spoke to me. So Isaiah 40, verse 26, uh, and then we'll go through to the end of the chapter. So lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So what's happening here is Isaiah in chapter 39, he had just told Israel, like, you guys are going to go to Babylon, and you're going to become slaves. Uh, this is going to be the end result of your sins. Like, this is where it's going. But then in chapter 40, he starts speaking to the people who are there, like, ahead of time, because he knew they were going to need encouragement. He knew they were going to need a word from God. And one of the things that he tells those people is, stop looking at the circumstances and just lift up your head. And look at the stars. The these that he's talking about is the stars. You have to go outside at night and look at the stars and think about them and do it over and over and over and over again. And I did this as best as I could, which wasn't very good, but I tried. Um, and then he says, who created these? Where do these things come from? What's going on? He says, it's he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And um, so often I just preach to myself, you know, if God can look at billions of stars, 
just their dance through the galaxies, and he knows all their number, and he knows all their names, then certainly he, besides the fact that people do their own stuff and they have their free will, somehow he's still in control of my life, he's still in control of my family, and we're going to be okay. And I just had to preach that to myself over and over again, like he's powerful enough to oversee the billions of little decisions that billions of people make here on earth and still make good come out of it. If he can control the universe, then he is like, because that's what I felt. I felt like, I know God loves me, but I still know that people can hurt me. And I just had to believe that God was above that somehow And where does the sovereignty of God start? And where does the free will of man start? Nobody knows. Like, it doesn't matter. You can read books. You're still not going to know. You know, like, nobody really knows the answer to that. Uh, But somehow, he can, he's going to finish my story is what I kept telling myself. This is not the end of my story. He's going to finish my story. He's going to make it work. He's making it work right now in the heavens. He's going to make it work here on earth. And then, you know, the word of God is so precise. Why do you say, O Ed, and speak in your heart, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Often in seasons of trial, we say, you know, maybe God doesn't really see this. Maybe he's worried about everybody else and he's just letting me go through this right now. Uh, or like, you know, God, this isn't the way this is supposed to happen. Like, it wasn't supposed to be like this. You're disregarding my right, you know, like this isn't the way it's supposed to work. Uh, But then, you know, God's word so precise. It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? And... uh, Often when I was in Isaiah 40, I would confess, I was like, the reason why I'm feeling this way is because I really don't know God like I thought I did. And I really haven't heard in the depths of my heart how good he is and how powerful he is and how wise he is. Because if I had heard and if I did know and I did believe, I wouldn't feel this way. So I often repented even in my trial, that part of the problem was me. Part of the problem was my lack of vision and my lack of perspective. And uh, it's hard to do when you're hurting because you just want somebody to come and comfort you. But to me, that was key. I had to come back and say over and over, I really don't know you like I thought I did. Um, And I need help. I need you to show me. I repent. The reason why this hurts so bad is because I'm blind, and I need you to open my eyes. And sometimes when we're going through seasons of suffering, we still need to be open about our sin and our blindness and our limitations. And yes, we want comfort from God, but we need to repent for our sin, for our lack of knowing God. And I think that that's very important Um, now here's the good part (laughs) 
It says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Um, I heard in the radio many years ago, a woman talking about how she was going through a really difficult trial because her son was growing up and, you know, he was behaving very badly, very difficult things were happening, and then they discovered he had autism. And it was uh, on the spectrum, it was very severe, uh, very severe, very, very severe. And she was just, you know, it's hard. I have a child with autism. It's hard sometimes. And she said, um, and somebody came up to her and said, the creator of the universe doesn't create with straight lines. And that struck me so much because, um, like I said, I'm a high school science teacher. Like, I hated English in school. Every time I turned in an essay, I was like, well, that might be an A, it might be an F. I have no idea. But when I took a math test, I knew exactly what grade I was going to get. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm, just, I'm just that kind of individual. I love a straight line. I love predictable. Like, I love it. You know, it's just who I am. But that's not how God does things. Like, not even a little bit. Uh, really, at least that's, that's the story of my life anyways. Uh, if you look at nature, nothing's straight. Like, there is nothing straight in nature. We can build a road. It's straight. But it's also dead. And it gets hot. And it's dirty. You know, like, who, like, nobody goes to a tourist place to see a road. You know what I mean? Like, they're ugly. They're functional, but they're dead, and they're ugly, and God doesn't do that. Uh, He makes beautiful things, but they're full of curves, and they're complicated, but they're beautiful, you know, Uh, and that's, that's how he does things. And uh, we have to tell ourselves that life's not, or at least for me, I have to tell myself, this thing is not going to go in a straight line. Like, whatever it is, it never goes in a straight line. There's even no, like, there's no reason to expect it to. Um, And then he goes on, Isaiah goes on, and he says, God, he doesn't faint or grow weary. And the word faint there means failing under life's pressures. Like, you can't put so much on God that he either physically or his heart doesn't go, oh. we go like that all the time. Sometimes we don't even want to read the news anymore, right? Because it's like too much, too much negativity. But the amazing thing about God is that he can look at the most awful traumatic thing that can happen to like the most innocent child and have perfect compassion and have a way to rescue out of that situation and be love and cry and not feel faint and not get weary with it. I don't know how to do that. And I used, during this time, I used to tell God all the time, how do you do that? Like, tell me, I want to know. How do you not get faint or grow weary? I would like to know because that would be a really good skill to have. And I don't have it. Uh, Again, the word of God is so precise. The answer is in the next little phrase. It says, his understanding is unsearchable. And what really the Holy Spirit was telling me is he can see the end. He can see how he's going to fix it. 
And that's why it doesn't overwhelm him. He can see the whole story. He's always ahead of you. You're right here, and you act like you're dying, but he knows what's going to happen. And that was comforting, you know, but then I'd say, well, that doesn't feel that helpful because I can't see it. Like, I I don't like that, (laughs) honestly. I mean, I do some, and it's my honest conversation. You don't have to be as irreverent as I am. Uh, But I'm like, this isn't helpful. Like, it's a little bit helpful, but I still feel like a hot mess. Like, I'm falling apart. And the next little phrase is the answer to that comment. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Now, the interesting thing is I really would like to be able to read, like, my life story ahead of time. I think that would be amazing. Uh, but I know that the answer to that prayer is no. Um, he gives us glimpses sometimes, but he doesn't give us the whole book to read. Uh, but it does say what he gives. He gives power to the faint. So again, that word faint, where you fail under life's pressures, says he gives power. Now that word power there comes from, in Hebrew, the word bone. He can make you like a bone, sturdy, hard, okay, durable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. So if it gets to the point where the strength is gone, that's okay. He's the creative God. He can increase strength. And I was like, I, I can do that. I'm, I'm cool with that, you know. Like, we won't know the whole story, but he will give us strength. And the strength that he gives us is according to his word. And then it says, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young man shall fall exhausted. And there's so many times in life, and this happens to every Christian, where we say yes to the God thing. We say yes to the thing that God's calling us to. We say yes to pursuing God. But then the rage of Satan comes, and just the mundane of daily life comes. And then people say and do things, you know, and they just have no mercy. And it happens over and over and over again. And what the Word tells us, you can be the youngest person with the most amount of zeal, with the most amount of energy, you're going to want to quit. You're going to get weary. You're going to get exhausted. At some point, you're going to get exhausted. Okay? But then at that point, what do we do? Right? And we all know, we all have known people who in their Christian walk, they just decided to scale back on their passion. Well, maybe it doesn't, I don't need to, you know, be that intense. Or they decided that uh, I'm just going to numb my pain with maybe a little bit too much alcohol, or I'm going to numb my pain with Netflix, or, well, maybe this sin really isn't that bad. or we just get disillusioned and then we say to ourselves, you know, I'm just, just going to get my house and my little white picket fence and have my two and a half kids and that's okay. I don't need to be so intense anymore. You know what I mean? Because that hurt too much. Uh, you know, and those are different ways in which we quit. Uh, but the Bible says, but they who wait for the Lord which means that there are those people who don't. And we have to ask ourselves, 
what kind of person are we going to be? Are we going to be the believers that when we said yes to the God thing, and then the rage of Satan came, and then the people did the awful things, and then we felt exhausted? What do we do at that point? And I want to be the person who waits on the Lord. I don't want to quit. I don't want to be at the end of my life and say, yay, I lived a mediocre life. You know, like, awesome. Now I'm going to die. Great. Like, who wants that? Like, you know, Satan hates passion for God. He hates passion for God because we were made to be passionate for God. Uh, And he wants to quench it. And the thing is, he's really good at it. Satan is very good at making us feeling discouraged, disillusioned, uh, despair, disappointment. The devil is full of D's, you know, all those D's words. Like, he's very good at all of them. Uh, But they who wait for the Lord, what happens to them? They renew their strength. When the strength goes out, that durability, that bone, we go back and we wait on the Lord, it comes back to us. And then it happens again, we go back to the Lord and it comes back to us. And the question, of course, is how do we wait on the Lord? I think the best way for me that has worked in my life is what we talked about earlier, like in Psalm 119. We go back to the Word. We sign back up. And for me, the best way for the Word to be unfolded is I put it in my mouth and I say it back to God. And I ask Him questions about it. And sometimes I'm a little irreverent. But he can handle me, you know, and he can handle you. And I just talk to him again, and I go back to what he said, and I talk to him again, and I talk to him again. And day by day, one drop at a time sometimes. Sometimes he just comes and glory, you know, I love those times where he just comes and does it all of a sudden. It's perfect. But at least in my experience, that's not how he does it most often. He does it in the little day by day the marathon pace, you know, uh, in the Word. So I wanted to call us to three different things. Okay, one, let's sign back up to be in the Word, you know. And if you're in the Word all the time, sign back up anyways, you know. And if you're not in the Word, let's start today, Like, today's the day to do it. You know, the devil is very good about making us feel like bad Christians when it comes to the Bible. Because we're not reading enough, or we're not this, or we're not that, okay? But, you know, there's this awesome thing called the blood of Jesus. And it, uh, I compare it to a delete button, okay? I didn't read my whole Bible this week. Delete, blood of Jesus, I'm forgiven, I'm starting today. I press the delete button all the time, like all the time to this day. You know, if I had a spiritual computer, that button would be worn out, okay? Like we just press delete and we sign back up today. There is no Christian who doesn't have to sign back up. That person doesn't exist, has never existed, will never exist, okay? You're not going to be it, okay? You're going to have to press the delete button 
I'm, every time I sign back up, I know I'm going to mess it up somewhere along the way. But I know the delete button's available for me and I can sign back up. Okay, so let's sign back up to be in the Word. Because when trial comes, it's really hard to change your habits, to change your mindset if I'm not already in the Word. Now, if you're in a difficult season and you haven't been in the Word, God gives grace. Okay, God gives grace. But if you're not in a difficult season, then by all means, develop the habit now. Because it's really hard to jump into a moving train. It's really hard to change the way you think in the midst of difficult season. You want to start that now. The other thing is to ask God to speak to you when you read the Bible. You can talk to God about the Bible. It's allowed. Okay? It's okay. Um, So Psalm 119, verse 18, since we're doing lots of Psalm 119 today, uh, the psalmist said, Open my eyes. Of course, he's talking about his spiritual eyes, the eyes of his heart. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. You know, the Bible can feel wonderful. It doesn't have to feel horrible or boring. Okay, it can, and it's not all about feeling, uh, but God does like to wonder us. The Bible is full of wonder. And by wonder, I don't mean like Greek and Hebrew and history and geography. Like those things are important. They have their place. But wonder is when your heart is awestruck with who God is and what he does and how he speaks. Psalm 119 verse 73 And if you struggle with reading scripture, maybe this is the goal that you need to hold on to, okay? Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. We're full, the devil's full of arguments why we can't understand the Bible. You weren't born in church, or you were born in the wrong church, or you don't read enough, or you read too much, or you read commentaries, or you read too many commentaries, or whatever it is, you know, like you don't have a good education, you're not smart, or, you know, whatever it is, we're all full of arguments why we're bad at reading the Bible. The devil's very good at that. But here's a prayer for you if you struggle with that. God made you, fashioned you. He knows where you came from. If you were like born in church or if you've been in church for a week, He knows the culture you came from, the family you came from. He knows your skills and your lack of skills. And he's way bigger than all of that put together. Okay? God can give you understanding so that you can learn his word. Okay? Every time that accusation comes, pray this. And here's the thing. The answer is yes. God's going to say yes. He already says yes. If, If you stick with it, if you don't quit... You're going to be a a believer who understands the Word. You are not shut out of God's Word because you don't have a seminary degree. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. God's Word, He wrote it for you. And last, um, I would like to encourage all of us to put the Word of God in your mouth. Preach it to yourself. Talk to God about it. Ask him questions. Say, I don't like this. Or say, I like this. Declare it back to him. Declare it to yourself. The word of God, it sets us free. When we are in seasons of trial, I 
think that there's two kinds of bondage that we experience. There's a circumstance that often is out of our control, and then there's the inward bondage, the emotions and the thoughts. But the truth of God sets us free. If you remain in the Word, either God will change your circumstances, or He will set you free on the inside, or the better, the best one is He'll do both. Okay? But the truth of God will set you free sometime. In some way, somehow, it's going to happen. Put it in your mouth. Put it in your mouth. Say it back to Him. If it feels weird, that's okay. Nobody knows. You don't have to tell anybody. Just do it at home by yourself. Say the Word of God back to Him. Declare it. Pray it. Sing it. Do whatever it takes. Listen to it. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. So to recap, the Word is our source of comfort in the midst of trial. There is no trial that the Word of God can't sustain us through. The Word of God is our source of wisdom because we always are in need of wisdom in difficult circumstances. He will give us wisdom according to His Word. So let's sign back up to be in the Word. Let's ask Him to speak to us through the Word. And let's put it in our mouth. Declare it back to Him so that we can be set free by the Word of God. Worship team, if you guys want to come back up. I want to pray for us. We're going to have prayer counselors up here. Uh, If you're in a difficult season and you'd just like somebody to pray for you, if you want to sign back up and you want to ask God for grace to be in the Word, or if you have any sort of prayer request, if you just feel discouraged, let's wait on the Lord together. He will renew our strength. Let's wait on Him in His Word. Let's declare it back to Him, and He will change us. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we don't have to suffer in the way that Job suffered anymore. I thank You that there is a way out of it, that the unfolding of Your Word gives us light. Father, I pray right now, will You unlock our hearts with Your Word? I pray for grace for every one of us this week as we uh, sign up to get back in your word, will you speak to us? We want to hear your voice. We need you. We need you, Jesus. We want to be a people of your word. We repent for not knowing you. We repent for not seeing you as you are. But will you now will you show us who you are in your word? In Jesus' name.